Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. New Grace exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media, at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter, Hebrews will draw a uh-oh out of you like Revelation will. You say, why don't you preach from Revelation? I did last week. I did last week. Check out the podcast, catch up if you've been missing, not been able to be here, check it out. Catch up with us. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Go back to verse 22. Look at the first phrase with me. Let us draw Near. Just look at that and read it with me again. Let us draw near. I want to preach today on this. Come a little closer. Just come a little closer. Spirit of the living God, fill me afresh right now. I'm moving this room. Give me liberty to preach and declare what thus saith the Lord. I'll give you glory. You're at liberty to move as you see fit. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give God some applause in the house for his word. Thank you, JJ. For so many Christians... I've been pastoring, preaching for 20 years. 21 years ago, this week, I gave my life to Christ. And for those 21 years and 20 of that ministering to people, I have met so many believers and people that identify as Christians that the idea or the concept of being near or close to God has become a rather abstract matter. It's not very clear what people mean or what they intend to say when they say, I want to be close to God. 
I want to live a life that is near to God. And as we endeavor to achieve and attain such a status in our relationship with God, it's kind of fuzzy. What does that look like? What does it mean for somebody to be close to God, to be near to God? I wrote this down. Nearness to God is not based on where you are with him in proximity, but rather it's based on where you are with him personally. My God, that was so good it needs a repeat. Nearness to God is not based on where you are with him in proximity. It's based on where you are with him personally. Why is that? Because proximity-wise, a true believer is as close to God as they ever will be. When it comes to physical proximity, you're as close to God as you ever will be. Look at Psalm 139 if you don't believe me. When it comes to our physical, literal proximity, we are as close to God as we'll ever be. When it comes to our spiritual or relational proximity, we are as close to God as we will ever be. God told me to tell you this, your spiritual proximity and your relational proximity have positioned you in the family as a son or daughter of God. You are not a created son or daughter of God. You are a converted son or daughter of God. My Bible tells me in John 3 that after we are born again, there is a wonderful judicial transaction that happens according to Paul in Romans 8. We are adopted. I want you to say that word with me. Adopted. May I remind you this evening that God had a choice when he saved you. He had a choice when he selected you. He had a choice when he picked you. I want to stop, call a time out, and praise God that God looked at you and he looked at me. He saw us incomplete. He saw us unfit. He saw us undone. Yet he looked ahead in time and he saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus and he saw his blood and he saw his love and he saw his grace, he looked beyond your sin. He looked beyond where you came from. He looked beyond who you were. He looked beyond who you are. He looked beyond who you would be. And he picked you anyway. I wish I had somebody I knew grace that said praise God that Jesus signed the adoption papers. It's a done deal. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I've been born again and I am a member of the family of the living God. Somebody help me go to church. Whoa! Adopted, picked to be in the family. I didn't even plan on saying that, but I'm glad I did. In proximity, as a son or a daughter, you are as close to God as you'll ever be. But this is not about 
your position in proximity. This is about your position personally. Because you can be a child and not know your father very well. Nothing changes the fact who your daddy is, but you can have a daddy and not have a good relationship with him. Can I submit to you? It could be. You are a child who doesn't know their father very well. There's another way we can maybe view this. It's the equivalent of sitting right next to somebody, yet all you know is their name. In terms of proximity, you're as close as you can get. But in terms of personally, all you know is their name. Here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. If you are his, he knows you. Bible says that the hairs of your head are numbered. For some of us, that's not very difficult. Yet God still knows us in all of our complexities and every aspect of our identity. God knows us. Isn't that wonderful this afternoon? Maybe you don't know him like you could. Maybe you've spent most of your life knowing about the God you're sitting next to whose table you occupy a seat, but you do not really know your father that well. Paul said something that has always struck me as interesting in Philippians 3.10, one of the first verses I memorized. He's sitting in a Philippian jail at the end of his ministry, end of his life, and he pens these words, that I may know him. I wanna know him in the power of his resurrection. I wanna know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I wanna be, I wanna know him so much that my life is conformable unto his death. I wanna know him. Paul said, I want to know him. The question today is, do you really know God? You ever heard the phrase, you think you know someone? And then come to find out, you don't. People spend two, three decades of marriage thinking they know somebody and come to find out they don't. They grow up in a home, they grow up around siblings, they grow up around people they call their friends, thinking they know somebody and they really don't. I wrote this down, God told me to share this with you this afternoon. A lot of people know God in a situational sense. They know God in a situational sense. In other words, the only time they ever get close to God or they ever have a conversation with God or they ever express any interest or pursuit in the person of God is when they're in a dire situation and they need a solution. And that's the only way they really know God is in a situational sense. Some people know God in an emotional sense. That's right, emotional. The only, the only level of intimacy they have with God is based on their emotions when they get stirred. When, when they're in this room, emotionally they're stirred, but check them all week long and they, not, they don't even acknowledge God in all of their ways. They never, they never crack open his word, they never pull it up. They don't have any screen time that can actually justify the pursuit of a God they care to know. Many people know God in an intellectual sense. They're smart enough to do the math. They're smart enough to do all the science. And they've come to the conclusion, there has to be a God. There must be a God. There is a God, but it's nothing more than intellectual assent. They know God in an intellectual sense.
Some people know God in a historical sense. They look at history itself and they look at the pages of the sacred texts of scripture and they know God from a historical standpoint no more than they know Abraham Lincoln from one. Many people know God from a testimonial sense. What somebody else has said about God is enough for them to know secondhand. They have an indirect vicarious relationship with God through the person that they're married to. Very few, very few know him in a relational sense. If you know God in all the other ways, but you really don't know him relationally, do you really know him at all? Do you know him based on my experience? Do you know him based on the move in the room? Do you know him based on one out of seven days a week? Do you know him based on what the preacher told you? what the preacher said? Do you know him though in a personal, relational sense? It's unfortunate for me to report to you there will come a time when Jesus will declare many as unknown to him. Yes, this verse is in the Bible. It's one of the scariest verses I'll ever read to you in Matthew chapter seven. Jesus said this, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, listen to this. I want you to listen. This is in your Bible. Jesus said this. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But, see, the proof of faith is there's action to back it up. Who's going to enter? The people that do the will of my Father which is in heaven. Look what else Jesus says about this. Many will say to me in that day, when they stand before him, they'll say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Now, I'm gonna go and tell you right now, and I don't wanna bog down right here, but that list right there is accolades and accomplishments that most people in this room aren't gonna be able to boast about. When's the last time y'all cast the devil out of work? When, when, when's the last time God gave you a word and an utterance and you were led to edify the body with a prophecy? When, when, when's the last time you could step back and look at what God used you to do and say, I've done many wonderful things for God? No, Jesus says, look what he says. And then I will profess unto them. I never knew you, depart from me, you that work iniquity. The greatest preacher of all time outside of Jesus Christ was sitting in a Philippian jail and said, I wanna know him. That word know in the Greek is gnosko. It means to get to know. The greatest preacher outside of Jesus, who was being persecuted and martyred for his own preaching faith, wrote, I just wanna get to know him. A man who had a Damascus Road encounter, who was called up to the third heaven and saw things that were unspeakable, still said at the end of his road, I just wanna know him.
I wrote this down. Every single Christian in this room ought to have a time in their relationship with God where they say, I want to be closer. I want to know him better. I want to have a better relationship with God. Let me tell you something. And I'm not going to preach about being close to God like you think I'm going to. I'm going to bust that little stronghold, that bubble, that myth, that lie that has been camped out over your head, making you think that you can't ever get close to God. I'm going to help you today, but you got to pay attention on purpose. Much of the distance created between you and your relationship with God is just a misunderstanding. You, you don't understand, but, but, but I feel on your feelings. Your feelings have never been a factor in how God computes his truth. The way you feel about something always belongs as a caboose. Yes, it's part of the train, but it belongs in the caboose. We live by faith, not feelings. But I just, I just, sometimes I, it's a misunderstanding. You have a misunderstanding about your relationship with God. And the writer of Hebrews challenges the audience to come close to God. And by the way, this is a Jewish audience of Jewish believers who are being pressured in persecution, not not by a pandemic, not because they're worried about the relationship getting tarnished on Twitter. Twitter's not a real place. Nobody cares about that. What, 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 they are, what they are up against is the pressure to return and revert back to the Old Testament sacrifice system of the law. Go back to your temple. Go back to your sacrifices. Go back to your priest. And God is saying, you don't come close to me in a system you come close to me through the sun. There is no lamb in need of offering. There is no altar in need of blooding. There is no priest in need of interceding. He says, you come to the Father on the basis and the building blocks of Jesus. And you and I, if not careful, will have a misunderstanding about what our relationship with God looks like in nearness. Can I read scripture to you? Verse 19, we just read it. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. I'm not gonna get through this. Ain't no way. I ain't gonna get through it. Just help me preach, though. We have boldness. Listen to the language. I'm doing Sunday school and Sunday night church at the same time. We're supposed to enter the holiest. The Jewish audience knew he was talking about a specific place and I'm gonna show you what that place was. Enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. This, he says, is a new and living way which Jesus hath made for us through the veil that is his flesh. Write this down if you're taking notes. We have access that allows us to be close to God. I want you to understand something. As a believer, you now have access to be as close to God as you want to be. 
The writer says that you and I have been granted full, absolute access to come into the innermost holy place with God. You say, Pastor Derek, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? I want you to imagine if we could time travel for just a second, you and I. We could travel back prior to the days of Jesus, before the construction of Solomon's temple, all the way back to the wilderness, 40 years where Israel was going through the wilderness. And God told Moses and the children of Israel to have a 40-year-long tent revival in the form of the Old Testament tabernacle. Imagine you and I can travel back in time as Gentiles, not Jews. That's what that means, not Jewish. We can go back to the days of Old Testament Israel and we're walking across the plains of Moab and we come, up, we come upon this site right here. There's hundreds of thousands of tents spread throughout the plain. And in the middle of the plain, we see a rectangle with linen sheets wrapped around in a, in a particular gate in which only select individuals can enter. We come to this gate and there's a doorkeeper standing guard at the gate. I'll speak on behalf of our group and I say, can we go in there? And the doorkeeper says, who are you? We say, we're Gentiles from the future. We're Gentiles from the land of Moab. Can we come in and see what this is all about? The doorkeeper shakes his head. He says, no, I'm sorry. In order for you to get in there, you would have to be born again as an Israelite. You'd have to be a Jewish believer. In fact, you'd probably have to be born from the tribe of Dan or the tribe of Benjamin if you wanna go in there. Oh! Oh, that we could be born again as Israelites, the people of God, so we could go inside and see what God is doing in that tabernacle. The wind blows and the, and the gate swings open and we see a man adorned in a wardrobe unfamiliar to us. He has a basin of blood and he goes in beyond the gold pillars into the tent of dwelling I'll speak on behalf of the group and I say to the doorkeeper, who is that? What do we have to do to go where he's going? And he says, oh, he's a priest. And as a priest, only can he enter in to the tabernacle with the basin of blood in his hand. Oh, oh, that we were born from the tribe of Benjamin or Dan, and that we could somehow go to the school and learn and become a priest. And he stops and he says, no, 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 no. To be a priest, you'd have to be born of the tribe of Levi, specifically of the family of Aaron. You'd have to be called and anointed and selected of God to go into that tabernacle. Oh, that I could be a priest and I could go into the tabernacle and I could see what wonderful things God is doing. What's in the tabernacle? I asked the doorkeeper. He says, well, there's two places in the tabernacle. Go ahead. The first one is called the holy place 
When you walk into this holy place, there's a lampstand, there's a table of showbread, and there's an altar of incense, and it's the priest's job to trim the lamps, to eat and serve the showbread, and to keep the altar of incense burning like prayer continually before the Lord. And I say, what? What beauty we must see in the holy place with God. Oh, that I could go in there and enjoy the splendor of God's presence in the holy place. He says, that's not all. There's a curtain, blue, purple, and scarlet, woven from top to bottom that separates the tabernacle in two. And inside of there, on the other side, sits a golden box that contains the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, and a pot of manna. It is overlaid in gold and seated in bowed posture of worship are two cherubims. The priest takes the blood, he puts it upon this ark, and the Shekinah glory of God comes down into this place, and it meets with man and forgives the sins of the people. And I say on behalf of the group, oh, that we could be priests, and we could go in to this innermost holy place and see the glory of God. And he says, no, 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 no. Not just any priest can go beyond the veil. Only the high priest, one individual can go in there. And I say, oh, that I could be a high priest. And I could go in there every day over and over continually that I could just camp out in this most holy place with God. And he says, no, 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 no. The high priest only enters once a year on the day of atonement to find forgiveness for the sins of the Jewish people. The holiness of God is so sacred on the other side of that curtain that we tie a rope around his ankle and we have bells on his vest. If he goes into that most holy place with unconfessed, unacknowledged sin, the glory of God will kill him. And when we cease to hear the ringing of the bells, we pull him out with the rope and have to find another high priest. I turn around discouraged and I come back to my group and I say, there is no way we will ever go in to the presence of God. Yet the writer of Hebrews says, come in to the holiest of holies because there is no need for a lamb. There is no need for a priest. The blood of Jesus has granted us access. The blood been applied. Go back, go back to slide three. Look at this. The writer says something interesting. There is a veil, a curtain that keeps people out. It separates men from the holiness of God. That veil 
the writer of Hebrews says, is pictured as Christ. Oh my God, I'm going deep. Are y'all still with me? The writer says that Christ is a picture of the veil. And the veil is a picture of Christ. You're not getting this. It's a picture of the incarnate Christ. Blue is a, is, a, is a color meaning that he was the son of God that came from heaven. Scarlet is a color that signifies he came from Adam, which means red, and he is the son of man. But both colors equally dyed and woven together create purple. So you can't tell where one starts and you can't tell where one ends. Meaning he was God and man at the same time. Some of y'all are like, watch this, watch this. Do you know what keeps you out of the presence of God? Jesus. The curtain. When you stand before him as a non-believer, when you played church your whole life, when you heard the sermons, you got the goosebumps. The still small voice was speaking in you. I feel the Holy Ghost shifting in this room right now. You were around it, you knew of it, but you didn't know it. And you settled for an indirect vicarious relationship with God through something called spiritual and religious organization. And when you stand in front of him, you will not go into heaven or in the presence of God, because he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And the curtain will be closed. But for every, for every dope smoking rebel, for every sexually illicit individual, for every drug addict, for every prostitute, for every drunkard, for every crackhead, for every person that grew up in Sunday school, for every person that came to New Grace at the age of 35 and had their eyes opened up, for every person that put their faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, I'm about to preach this thing. See, something happened when Jesus died. When he died, there was a thief on one side and a thief on the other. And he died until the thief was received into glory. He died until the earth shook and got nervous and graves started opening up all around Jerusalem. He died and the sun hid its noonday face. He died and the, and the soldier said, surely this man was the son of God. He died and curses started turning into blessings. He died and law broke loose and turned into grace. He died and the heavens went silent and the clouds filled the sky. He died and the temple veil 
was ripped from top to bottom. Y'all ain't hearing me. I'm doing some old-fashioned preaching right now. He died, and the curtain was torn in two. You're not hearing what I'm saying. A curtain so high, so wide, and so thick that no mortal man could ever put a rift in it. But the Bible says it was was torn, not from the bottom to the top, but the top to the bottom. Because when he died, God reached down into the temple. And he tore it in two, and he made a way. I said he made a way for dopeheads and drunkards and whoremongers and adulterers and fornicators and righteous, unrighteous. He died. Let us draw near. Jesus was the only thing keeping you out of the presence of God. And his body like the veil, is that not what he said? Has been torn in two. And in the Old Testament temple, the day, the moment that Jesus died, Everything keeping God and man separated was separated. That is good. I'm trying to figure out if I want to land this plane right here. Woo! That is how you clear out a respiratory infection. We have access. I have as much as you do. Because you have access and I have access to be close to God, we have an approach when drawing close to God. Go to that verse I've got, verse 22. Because the veil has been torn, his body has been broken, and the access has been granted, this is why he says, therefore let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's an approach that you and I have when we come into God's presence. Now, now look, 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 look. We can enter into that same level of God's presence that they had in the tabernacle and temple simply by praying to our Father. The moment you pray, you step right out of this world and into another one. And how are we supposed to approach God? He said, let us come. Remember what he said in verse 19? With boldness. Come with confidence, a full, a heart full of assurance 
See, the devil will make you think that God doesn't want you to come before him. Look at, look at you. Look what you've been doing. Look how you've been acting this week. I see your search history. I heard what you said. You really think God wants a dirty little wretch like you coming before him? Who do you think you are? You don't ever even visit God unless you need something. You can't even stay faithful to your church. You're nothing but empty promises and big intentions. God don't want to hear from you. God don't want to see you. You make God sick. He favors other people over than you. Just look at their life. Look how blessed they are. Look how favored they are. Look how honored they are. God don't even know you exist. God hasn't noticed you. The church hasn't noticed you. Just sit back here on the fringe of this relationship and let the people that deserve it go before their king. He says, come with boldness. Come with confidence. There was a little boy sitting outside the king's palace. He went to go pay a visit to the king. And the guards barring the door said, no entry, son. No one in here. This is the king's palace. I want to see the king. Do you have an appointment? No, but I want to see the king. Sorry, son. No access. The boy sat down next to the gate, crossed his arms, pulled his knees up into his chest and sulked. About a half hour later, a caravan pulls up of horses and chariots. Soldiers form a line from that chariot entry all the way to the gate of the palace. And a little boy steps out of that chariot and he goes walking right into the palace. The little boy is outraged at the injustice. He jumps up, he throws dirt at the guards. He says, I thought nobody could see the king. You just let that little boy go in. The guard turned around without one lick of compassion and said, that is the king's son. He can come and go as he pleases. There's a devil barring the gate of your palace telling you that you've got no access or entry and that if you did have an appointment, the king doesn't have time. But I want to tell you, I don't care what your issue is, what your situation is, what your circumstance is. You have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And with boldness and assurance, you can come to your God with a faithful approach. Anytime, any place, anywhere. Come on, JJ, help me close. I'm tired. We have access. Everybody say access. We have an approach. Everybody say approach. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful that promised. 
this, this congregation right here he's writing to is facing the amount of trouble that you and I, if we stay here long enough and Jesus tarries long enough, that we'll eventually face. Which is they were, they were receiving persecution for believing in the name of Jesus. And I know it hasn't went there yet in America and you can't imagine that happening in Dixieland Delight and you can't imagine that ever happening to good old Banks or Jackson County. But the powers of darkness are working behind the curtain very vigorously. And there'll come a day when we will be living on the very pages of this text in pressure to turn from Christ. And he says this, fasten your hold on what you believe and don't let go. And I want you to see where he connects this. This is gonna help you. Look where he connects this. Look at the next verse. And let us consider one another to provoke or incite love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Lastly, we have an assembly that keeps us close to God. I should have preached this during the pandemic when we were doing internet church. I should have preached this right here. There's a nearness to God when you assemble with other believers. Can you sense it right now in the room? For some of you, this is the closest you've been to God all week. Well, isn't that interesting? This is the only time you've been in this room with your church family all week. Quickly, I wrote this down. The people you are around either make you wanna live close to God or live far from God. Two things happen when you get close to God. Love happens and good happens. Jesus loved and he went around doing good. To be a Christian means to be Christ-like, which means if you're Christ-like, love ought to be happening in your life. I'm not talking about e-harmony or match or tender. I'm talking about love, love. God love, phileo love, agape love. I said love and good. When I act like Christ, I love people like Jesus loved them. When I act like Christ, I love my kids like God would want me to love them. I love my wife like God would want me to love her. I love my church and I love the brethren, the brothers and the sisters of God. I love them. And I've also noticed when I'm like Christ and I'm walking close to God like I'm supposed to, good happens. I make good decisions. I do good things. I feel like, this, I feel like the psalmist in Psalm 23. Goodness follows me all the days of my life. It's like just good stuff works out. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Did you notice what he said? 
He said, when you assemble with the church, when you assemble with other believers, it should provoke love and good in your life. I wrote this down. Whenever I am around my church, it produces Christ-like characteristics in me. It makes me a better Christian. It makes my faith stronger. It makes my commitment more solidified. This is why he said, in, in, in terms of being near or close to God, this is what he said in verse 25. Check this out. He is attaching our nearness to God with the assembly we have with each other. Holy moly, we need this right now in 2021. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of summit. What it, what, what it, okay, hold up. Straighten out that King James vernacular for me, Pastor Derek. He says, do not forsake whenever saints or the church come together as the manner of some is. He's saying, there's some of y'all. It's like he's writing the letter and he perks over, the, he perks over and goes. Some of y'all, he says, he's saying, some of y'all are coming up with reasons to miss out when y'all come together. That's what he's doing. As the manner of some of y'all is. You got your reason, you got your excuse. You feel the weight of that thing turn? He's talking about being close to God and all of a sudden he goes, stick together. What? Subject jump, did Paul write this? You wanna be close to God, come into God's presence, come close to God. By the way, don't miss out when it's time to hang out. That's what he says. You know the best way to stay close to God? Stay close to people who are close to God. You have to learn how to hang out with people on your level. I said, you have to learn how to hang out with people on your level. You can't fly with the eagles if you roost it up with chickens. You were meant to fly. We were meant, we were meant to ascend. We were meant to live on another level. And he says, one of the ways to provoke or stir up love and good in your life is by putting yourself around where other people of like mind and like faith gather and assemble. Don't forsake it. In a nutshell, you know what he was saying? You need church. I'll close with this. There is no such thing as going it alone in the Christian life. God did not spiritually or scripturally design for it to work that way. <coughs> I need all my lone wolves up in the room. All my Mr. and Mrs. Independents to listen up. God did not spiritually or scripturally design you as a human being to have a relationship with him apart from his church. Well, I, I tell you right now, I can have as much church and get as close to Jesus in a tree stand as I can over there with them hypocrites. 
what kind of church do you go to? Because Bambi wouldn't walk 10 miles from your tree stand if you went into church in that tree stand like I go to church with my church. I can get as close to God out there in a fishing boat with Mother Nature. Really? Really? Well, let me join you on your fishing expedition and we'll break out some Bible, take a text and see how many fish you catch while I'm out there worshiping God with you. That's hogwash. Y'all, that's hogwash. I said it a few weeks ago, I'll close with this. The least connected I ever was to God is when I was the least connected to his church. I got out positionally. I still sit right next to God, but I spent two years looking the other way, not talking to him, not listening to him, justifying my absence from the assembly. You wanna get miserable? Get out of church. You wanna get lazy? Get out of church. You wanna come disconnected? You want your faith to start to unravel? You wanna see yourself loosening a grip on the things you said would never slip? Get out of church. He connects our closeness to sticking together. Now more than ever, we need the assembly. Right now, many of us in our life, we need to start approaching God with boldness and confidence, keeping and assuring our faith, knowing that God wants to hear from us, that God cares about hearing from us, and God can do something with what he hears from us. Because the curtain has been torn. There is nothing blocking your access. I want you to stand with me right now.